This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 127, Boson. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Benjamin Higgins, who I'm going to apparently subject to really bad puns on his last name. Hey, Ben. How's it going? <laughs> and for those who don't know... Ben goes by Daidoji Ryushi on the forums and is a member of the Legend of the Five Rings rules team. Apparently, people other than Macbeth actually exist and, and can be spoken to. Who knew? Yeah, we, we like to hide in the shadows, ready to strike at a moment's notice, but, uh, but there are a few of us out there. Yes. Well, you just have to... Uh, Go and completely redo the entire Oracle all by yourself, and then you can get respect, just like Brooke. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so uh, we have been on here today just to talk about Legend of the Five Rings generally, Ivory Edition, the environment, uh, whatever it is that he wants. I'm totally going to ask him about Karu Contractor and deliberations and why they don't fix it. At some point, actually, why don't I just do that now? Why don't you speaking for the entire rules team and all of the Legend of the Five Rings people, as I'm sure you're authorized to do, why don't you fix the interaction between Karu Contractor and Deliberations and other cards like that? Well, one of the things when we set out to start retemplating a lot of the actions for Ivory Edition and the, uh, the intended simplification of those new templates was to try to make everything work as you would think it would work. Unfortunately, there were a couple of small issues where the intended isn't exactly how the finer rules handle it, and the cost reduction for Karu contractors and variable gold costs with uh, deliberations is one of those side effects. We haven't really seen how those two cards will play out in Ivory Edition yet, one of the things we are looking at moving forward, uh, because we are several sets into Ivory Edition already with our development and rules templating, is changing those templates so that those effects will work for deliberations and variable gold cost type effects down the road. So unfortunately, it may not work right now. We're trying to gauge whether it's worth it to issue a RADA or an MRP for these cards but we're not sure how that's going to handle it yet. So right now, because we just have one or two of those instances, there's not a direct need to address that within the format yet. It does work on fixed gold costs, so the intent of the card is still there for the most part. Now, you talked about using errata or, or MRPs. One of the the things that I always saw was was supposed to work together with cards working right like you said you want cards you want to look at the card and and work uh, exactly how it you'd think it works but often part of that is having the more complicated plumbing going on behind the scenes in the comprehensive rules 
is that something that could potentially be fixed by effectively putting something in the comprehensive rules that says, well, when we use this language on these few cards, it actually works like you'd think it would work? There is always that option. That is one of the nice things about taking the rules weight off of the front end, the cards, and putting it on the back end into the comprehensive rules. Uh, we can make a few tweaks so that if something isn't quite right on the surface, we can look at and make it right on the on on the underlying thing. Magic does this a lot in their in their rules. If you look at their cards, they're very straightforward. But if anyone's ever looked at the comprehensive rules for Magic the Gathering, that document is easily five times the size as any L5RCR that we could put out. Oh, no, no, yeah. The, the Magic comprehensive rules are enormous. Yes, and parts and subparts and subsections and keywords numbered up into the dozens and dozens. Exactly. But Okay, so... You are in a crane player by heart, I guess. I don't know how often you stick to that or not. A lot of people have said that crane are either very good in the, the ivory environment or the best in the environment or way by far the best in the environment. Do, do you fall anywhere on that spectrum for the crane's power level or, or somewhere more modest? Well, I've played in one ivory environment tournament so far it was a small event four rounds i ended up going two and two with crane granted i was playing something a little out of the box i was looking at crane dishonor basically trying to use their economy to pay for all the scorpion personalities that are absolutely really cool and uh i've always been a sucker for playing a little bit outside of the box with with some crane stuff so it was kind of a fun thought exercise in the end uh, i made a lot of misplays and probably could have done better. I think where Crane falls overall, they're in a good place. They really are, uh, which is nice considering how they kind of have struggled through uh, some of Emperor Edition previously. Once, uh, once we lost Embassy of the Crane, not a whole lot really came together for us. But I don't think that they are going to be as dominant as I hear a lot of people talking about. They have very good economy, which makes... Their deck's very solid. They have a lot of good, you know, actions, but those are all available to other clans as well. The range attacks on the scouts are no bigger than anything you'd find on your crab scouts, or or some of your dueling is easily accessible in the dragons, and possibly with the dragon sensei, even better. So I, I think that, yes, they have a lot of options, but they're not necessarily doing anything or everything better than every other clan. Now, you mentioned dueling and crane, and obviously fallen dueling is, is hanging around out there, but in, in episode 126, which you haven't heard yet because it hasn't uh, released yet, but uh, Mike and I are kind of going back and forth about how good dueling is or isn't. And so I guess he thought that crane were good, but that it really didn't have anything to do with dueling. Where do you think that dueling stands overall right now, either when used you know, in a more normal fashion by Crane or good old Fallen Dueling? I really like the potential power that Dueling has in the arc right now. And I say potential because there is a lot of good meta already in the environment for it. 
Uh, we've talked uh, within my little playgroup up here about Karmic Strike and how that, with the addition of the, the MRP for the Karmic keyword on it, makes that a fantastic piece of meta that can be applied in almost any deck. And the Karmic keyword has just opened up a lot, I believe, in terms of being able to splash that meta for a deck which you may feel you will have problems with while still maintaining the flow of your deck. If you're not playing a dueler, two gold, gets that card out of the way, replaces it, and makes the the opportunity cost of running the meta just that much smaller and makes it a really solid option. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Karmic, you don't even have to, to draw in the first place. I, I think I've become a little bit more worried about Karmic because I, frankly, I think when I, I first saw it, I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's probably not going to come up that much anyway, but then it's been played more than I thought, and there are some duels where I'm not really that concerned. If I weakness exposed and you Karmic me, I can probably handle that, but then I go and... uh you know, launch some limited duel with my giant unique, and then it gets karmic, and that kind of makes me cry. Yeah, it definitely it definitely opens up a lot of tactical thinking too in regards to the actual dueling player. In the deck I'm currently working on right now, does utilize some dueling, and I have a nice mix of really large high chi people to make sure I get a duel through, but I also have some smaller cheap people that I can throw maybe some of the riskier duels through off of them so that if they do die, it's not such a huge impact on my overall game state. We have so far, and I think a lot of people are in this spot, have not been able to figure out anything that's really any good with Phoenix. You guys, your, your playgroup managed to figure anything out yet? Uh, to be honest, I don't have a Phoenix player locally. We've done a little bit of looking at the box and and trying to see if it's worth it to commit so hard into that box or to play a little more open with the, the available themes. The box requiring the, the Shugenja does limit your choices a bit, but I think if they're not if there's not a deck there now, there definitely should be something as the card pool increases, just because with every new set, of course we're going to get more Shugenja, of course we're going to get more spells, and so it may be one of those factions that comes out a little slow, but definitely could ramp up. And I say that, I know what cards are coming down the road, because I have seen them for templating issues, but honestly, I haven't played with them, so I don't know how it's going to come together. Yeah, if if I was a Phoenix player, I'd be really looking forward to, I guess, the Elemental Destruction or Fire Shigenjo or whatever the the other theme is, because it, it seems like one of the things... Well, they've got their existing sensei, who seems really awkward, but it seems like one of the things that handicaps them and many other honor decks is that... They're just worse at it than Crane are. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is actually really kind of nice to hear as a Crane player, because last arc, the Phoenix were so much better at the Crane options. So, you know, a, a little uh, little balance in, in the clans coming in here. Well, I, I think that the, uh, the Phoenix were better than the Crane at every possible conceivable thing in the world. Was it... I, I don't know, was it you the one who, who put that up? The... Uh, on the Crane forums, it was like Crane Clan, Emperor Edition, in hard mode. 
I wasn't the one that first coined the the phrase, but I definitely agree with it. And I played a lot of Crane and Emperor Edition. It was hard mode, but it was definitely a lot of challenge and, and a lot of reward when something actually did click and you managed to go four and three at a tournament. Because <laughs> that's your high point. <laughs> uh, so if we think the Phoenix are... Okay, are, are not good. Uh, there have been a reasonable number of people who... Also think that the that the spider are then the second worst, but the f- spider seem to have a lot more raw materials to work with than the phoenix do. I mean, I can at least take a spider deck and immediately drop in 22 personalities that I'm happy to have in my deck, and especially at the start of an arc when things are maybe less nuanced in how decks have been developed yet that that usually seems to go a long way what what sort of experiences have you had with them the biggest thing i have uh have seen that's a detriment to the spider is you've got the purge of voodooism event and a lot of people are starting to play that as meta for the fallen dueling decks that we kind of talked about earlier Mm -hmm. so that will hit the spider as well so they have that that they're kind of fighting an uphill battle against out of the gate that said, like with the dueling, the meta does exist for that within the the environment already. So I think a lot of people that are outcrying that they can't get something working with Spider are just unwilling to try the meta that's out there. I've seen a bunch of Spider decks. I've liked them all. They've all performed fairly well. But I haven't seen that one really good breakout deck like with Breeder, uh, which is good because we don't, <laughs> we don't want that in the Ivory Edition environment, and that's one of, the, of course, the reasons we just had the recent banning of the Ashiguru suite and moving that out of the tournament format so that it does open up options. What you you don't think we wanted to see top eights of Crane Ashigaru, Phoenix Ashigaru, Mantis Ashigaru? No, wait, why did I say Phoenix? I meant Crab. The Phoenix still weren't going to make top eight. <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure, I haven't played Crane as much this arc as I would have liked to due to uh, losing a bet to uh, to my friend, which would have had me playing uh, Crab at the first uh, Kote that I can attend. And I will fully admit, I was developing an Ashiguru Crab deck because that thing was a monster. And it was a little heartbreaking to know that uh, two... Uh, you know, two months worth of work or so did get crushed, but it was it w- was the right move for the environment. I think a lot of people will really see that coming into the uh, the first couple of weeks of Cote season. I expect a lot of diversity within the different tournaments. Uh, so, are you still on the hook for crab for your first Cote? I am not. I was granted by the mercy and let go. So, I am back in my uh, my crane mode for uh, feeding hills coming up here on March fifteenth. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, yeah, we will not be seeing you because that's running at the same time as Atlanta down on on March fifteenth for the opening weekend. Yep. So are you? What What do you think about the renewal storyline? I haven't had much chance to really look at it. Uh, I like the overall structure of it. It seems like it uh, it is going to force the player bases to come together again. And as we've seen with the previous mega games, even though this one isn't a, a full-blown mega game, that anytime you can get the player base talking, communicating, working together uh, towards concrete goals that 
at least the majority of those player bases approve of and endorse, it's just better for the game. Uh, the player commitment increases, the drive to play in events increases, people travel to more events because they care more about the story. So I'm really excited to see how they, uh, how all the nuances of the renewal storyline work together, and especially uh, to see the novel that will be uh, coming from a lot of these tournament wins. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's right. And there's a participation. So, so you're going to feel bad if you decide not to go to a Cote and then your clan ends up with 749 points. Exactly. There, there really is a call to arms, uh, which is great in the, uh, in the flavor of the game, bringing it to the, the flavor of the tournaments and the actual player interaction. Yeah. Well, especially since I was surprised by this, I think Deneen just said on the forums today that the, that family daimyo, Includes clan champions for the kill a person prize. Hey, and as as we know from that Gen Con and Worlds vote from a couple of years ago, everyone loves to kill a clan champion, especially the scorpion. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I, I could comment on that, but I've been told that it infuriates the uh, the scorpion <laughs> players. So, yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, that it's very hard to predict what would happen with that. I you know, we're going to have one clan, possibly a second, that actually hits that point threshold. So without knowing what the clan is, it's very hard to say who they would, would kill. I mean, but, but let's say it's you guys. Who, who would the crane want to knock off, do you think? The obvious Mantis choice? Uh, or I, I was a huge proponent of the crane-Mantis war before. Before it even came up in the story, if anyone who frequented the uh, the Crane forums back when we had a an open chat room and I was in there daily, knew I would take every chance I could to throw little barbs at the Mantis because the economic aspect of the war combined with both the Daidoji and the Saruchi fighting it out skirmish-wise gave it a really awesome two-front war feel, and I've been... A proponent of Mantis Crane conflict since the beginning, mostly because the Mantis aren't a real great clan. Everyone knows this, so they need to just get out, accept their minor clan status, and if it takes the Crane clan killing the uh, the growing storm to do that, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, there you go, Mantis players, Gauntlet Throne. There's probably not anything you could do about it because either your deck's that good or it's not. <laughs> but. Uh... Yeah, I guess you could have an interesting back and forth with that. Like one clan gets the 750 points, kills the other guy's clan champion, but then the second clan gets the 500 point, win a crushing military or political victory. I don't know. Does that does that make for an interesting back and forth, or is that just equal I, out and be another one of these lame, nobody really won things? I would like to think that uh, under the pen of uh, Robert Denton that it would be a really interesting back and forth. And I'm really glad that he's he's going to be heading up the uh, the ch- novel that will be incorporating all these tournament results. Yeah, well, he's heading up basically everything now, right? I mean, it's it's what Spooky and Sean and Sean has a lot of other things going on and does not personally write nearly as much fiction as he used to. Yeah, it's uh, I think they're down to uh, Brian Yoon, Spooky, and Sean, and. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, in in my opinion. They can get a lot of focused, uh, direct character narrative, 
there won't be wavering, you know, different voices of the authors competing in any one particular story. Maybe it's too much for them to handle. If it is, I hope they bring in someone as awesome as uh, as spooky as Robert was, because he has been a amazing uh, author to follow through. And happy to say he is from the Crane Forms as well. Yeah, no, he's done a fantastic job, and I know he's even done a number of extended storylines with my uh, uh, dragon folk. Now, if I could just get them to write something about Harumi, I'd be happy. <laughs> But, well, yeah, it turns out that making you play as a character in an RPG for, for multiple months in a row gets you pretty attached to him. I, it, it does. I, uh, in the second Winter Court, I was able to play Doji Bukita, and he will always have a, a very special place in my heart. So I'm very happy to see uh, his soul love back in Ivory Edition, and that is also one of the reasons I was experimenting with Crane Dishonor uh, in my first tournament because nothing says crane like a creepy guy trying to make you lose honor or giving it to himself well hey even if you're not playing a dishonor deck that he's really good as meta against uh, another honor deck he's he's really amazing in that slot yeah and you can if you win the kote you can choose bukita himself as a possible fortune absolutely and that uh, that is definitely a name that's on my short list should the unimaginable happen i uh i'd like to think i'm capable but especially in the new england meta up here we have some exceptional players that i'll have to get through to do so yeah yeah there are (laughs) unsurprisingly given how math works there are more people at akote who are capable of winning it than who actually do end up winning it. (laughs) exactly (laughs) funny how that works all right so was there any other observations you had out there on the the ivory environment you know cars you think people should be looking out for that maybe are slipping under the radar now or deck types i really think that the environment is really wide open there are so many cards which could sneak under the radar that it is uh it's really anybody's game. There are decks out there that i think haven't been discovered yet that will totally take someone by surprise it's a really exciting environment, despite, or I should say, in addition to the fact that it is a lower-powered environment, and it opens up more of these options rather than just playing the fastest, strongest deck to get through. You do get a little more freedom with what you can play and still have it be viable. Um, one of the big things that I'm really looking forward to coming into the season is seeing how all the rules changes that we put together into the the new rule set, the streamlining of the phases, bringing it from seven different phases down to three, bringing the reactions uh, that had, I believe when I counted them, 14 different timing windows in Emperor Edition down to the single timing window of the interrupt, which everybody needs to be aware of, does happen before targets are chosen. That's a big one. So... Everyone listening, make sure you're playing cleanly, announcing your action, allowing space for interrupts, and then declaring your targets and effects. Actually, funnily, I was uh, thinking about that. Just as you were talking about the rules, I'm like, oh, that's right. I have to ask him about the whole targeting thing. Mm -hmm. So I think 
at least, that it would be more intuitive, and it doesn't hurt that this is how magic does it, and so a lot of people are more familiar with it, to have the interrupt window be after targeting. You sort of have a, a complete declaration. Here's the card I'm playing, or the ability I'm taking. This is what I'm targeting with it. Here's my cost payment. Okay, now do you have any interrupts? Instead of, I declare my ranged attack. Uh, who knows what it's targeting? Do you have any interrupts? Why was the interrupt window placed at the time that it was placed? Well, part of it was to really simplify where it could be. When you're looking at at all the different timing windows and everything, we tried to make it as simple as possible. And this might be one of those issues, too, where we almost made it too simple without allowing a declaration of targets beforehand and then, you know, checking those targets again after the interrupt window is. It's definitely different, but once you start really playing it that way, it does feel very intuitive, and it definitely gets the point across. And especially with Ivory Edition, how it states now, the targets which your opponent is looking at to target with their ranger attacks or melee attacks are usually pretty clear. It's usually the biggest threat on the board. The person either with the most force or the person who has a ability that will absolutely wreck you if they're allowed to take it. So, yes, it's a little awkward, especially coming out of the, the reactions, uh, windows that we have so ingrained in us from Emperor Edition and even before then. But once we adjust to it, I believe it will be very intuitive and will actually play out almost identically to how reactions would have, but it definitely simplifies the game down. Oh yeah, I, it has had some, uh, I think unexpected consequences, as you know, things like the interrupts reacting to people coming into play. But I think overall, the, reduction of the the timing windows has been a a great boon i i always thought that it was an unnecessary complexity to be able to take a reaction at any point in time ever Mm -hmm. no matter where in resolution the other card was so you're here you're on other than the targeting thing on on rules of the there's you seen any issues that that seem to have come up frequently that you'd like to throw out there for to clarify for people or any cute stories from rules decisions or templating um one of the uh one of the big things that's kind of come up a lot at least in my testing that a lot of people may be overlooking is people seem to be so intent on overanalyzing the cards that are out there that they're actually missing a lot of what the cards do One of the interactions lately, which we just kind of had a big chuckle about in my group, was a lot of people were fetching Generals Hatamoto with Jade Perlin, which if you actually, yeah, that doesn't work at all. They were just like, oh, it's a one gold cost holding. I'll grab that and, you know, then I'll bring it into play. And now you really gotta, you you gotta look at the cards, but don't try to overanalyze them with Ivory Edition. We've done a lot of work to, to really make the cards do what they should do or what you think they should do. So if you're pausing and going, huh, I really should try to make this work this way, you're probably overthinking it. I know it's tough for everyone right now without a comprehensive rules to reference, and we are working on getting that out to everyone. 
But basically, the number one thing when you're testing out these cards and finding about these interactions is stop and ask yourself, am I thinking about this too much? Uh, again, with Jade Perlin, a lot of people are like, well, how do I play it? Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to see anyone technically play Jade Pearl in 100% correctly. Basically, right in the florals of L5R, the number one thing is, you know, to paraphrase, don't be a jerk. If someone says, I buy, I recruit Jade Pearl in, I use the interrupt, don't be like, whoa, 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 you can't bring it into play and then announce the interrupt. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some outer order sequencing that people will be getting used to. Uh, yes, it may not be technically correct, but then again, even in Emperor Edition, in Samurai Edition, in Celestial Edition, where cards were technically very verbose and told you exactly how to play them, I don't think I ever saw anyone technically play a game of L5R correctly. There's so much out-of-order sequencing and shortcutting within the game that to jump on them now, especially when we've streamlined the rules, just makes you seem like the type of person that probably shouldn't be playing a competitive card game. <laughs> or maybe you're exactly the sort of person who should be playing a competitive card <laughs> game. You're just going to make it miserable for everybody else. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, I, you, you mentioned uh, Generals How to Moto. I think that that is a, a really good card, but it is competing for a very small number of slots once you've got your personalities and your gold producing holdings in do you have a go-to card or cards to use to fill up that you know very small number of slots that you get in your deck i think it really it really depends on what your deck's trying to do obviously to to speak the 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 absolute you know obvious statement I like the fact that Generals Hatamoto is a holding, which makes it usable throughout the entire game after you get it. And the way I've kind of looked at a lot of the non-gold producing holdings is they actually take up a personality slot in my deck. And I say that because I'm really not playing many events. With the change uh the events from resolving in an events phase to being used as an action when the action designator, uh, you know, indicates, it seems like I'm not sure if their value has gone up or gone down, just because they are so telegraphed when you leave them in there, especially any battle or open uh, events that are out there. And you know, when they're limited, yeah, you see them coming. They're either going to be used that turn or not, or karmic away if they have karmic. So it's not a not such a huge tempo loss in terms of your, your dynasty production to keep them in there. But, uh, yeah, I'm just not seeing events get played as much as as I actually expected, which is kind of interesting when you look at the uh, the makeup of the metagame. Events never get as play, never get played as much as I would like to see them get played. There's already always so many of them, and they're always so interesting, and there just isn't sort of room for them in the deck. That's why I I, I will continually harp on the I uh, someday I want some sort of dragon box, which will n- really never happen now, uh, with the way the strongholds are done, where I get to just put a bunch of events in my deck. Like I can have ten events in my deck and somehow have that be functional. Mm-hmm. Something about I don't know. I and of course I the the easy way to compare it is oh it's like coal wall for events, but not broken. 
Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants a broken coal wall again. But, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I, I think that's in some ways is is how you would you'd almost have to do it. You have to say, okay, they don't count towards part of your deck, but then they you get to. I don't know what it would be now. Like as soon as you use it, you automatically refill face up because it can no longer be the coal wall style. It refills at the end of the events phase because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, right. So uh, yeah, another uh, another card which now that I've said I don't use events much at all, that I have been finding uh, uh, one slot for in my in my military decks is severed from the emperor, which is really kind of cool to have back and. And it just, it gives you that little extra push against what is arguably one of the most powerful actions in the, in the game coming into Ivory, and that's the Imperial Favor. Being able to negate that as a repeatable interrupt. Do it multiple times per turn if you need to. It makes it worth that, that open to put the card into play. And, uh, and I very rarely have the favor with a military deck anyway, so there's no reason for me to actually have it once I played the, you know, when I'm coming into that phase of the game where I need the ability to just say, no, I'm in this battle, deal with me. So do you run that out even in Crane? Do you just gain enough honor before you have to use it that the five isn't a problem? Uh, basically, yeah, with the military deck, I'm really not all that interested in trying to play the favor control game uh, with the with the Crane military. It's not so abusable with the card cycle. There's other ways I have cycling within my military deck. Karmic I've talked about. Uh, I'm drawing cards with Destined, uh, which is which is a vastly underrated keyword right now, I think. Uh, if you can cram Destined in your deck, I would recommend you do it in spades because having cards is a good thing, as we've been told throughout all of the game's history, and nothing more so than when each piece of force counts and each personality on the board counts, and keeping them around and removing your opponent's personalities from the board is more important than anything coming into Ivory Edition. Well, I guess I'm basically out of things. Did you have anything else we wanted? you wanted to um, touch on? I know that I had been asked to kind of clarify how... Uh, technically to play Jade Pearl in correctly, so I guess I can throw a bone to a lot of the people that are, are looking to really figure out how to how to play that properly, uh, even though, like I've said, don't be a jerk to your opponents and just let them resolve it as it as it is intended. To do that, basically you announce your recruit action, then you pay your gold, producing it if you need to, because with gold pooling now you may already have some in your in your pool to use. Then you can announce the interrupt on a card if that card would be brought into play if it's out of play. And that's basically what the good faith rule allows you to do is announce that interrupt, uh, which basically locks you into interrupting a Jade Pearl in. And then that card will come into play. The interrupt actually sets up a delayed effect of the search and the refill. So after the Jade Pearl comes into play, you dig through your deck, Find your one cost gold producing holding, gold producing holding being the keywords there. <laughs> Re- refill it, uh, and then that action, unless there's any other delayed effects that need to trigger off it, uh, finishes resolving, and then you just announce the recruit of the holding that you brought into play if you want to bring it into play. 
I have seen some people just use it to thin their deck out. So that's it's very simple. It works how you think it works. And, you know, just keep in mind that coming into Ivory, everyone's getting used to the new timings. So just be patient, be sportsmanlike, and have a good time. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and I think I think I would always search with Jade Pearl in without any regard to whether or not I could buy it. I would always want to get that thing out of my deck. Yeah, and especially with the the cycle ability still being a player ability, what we got from from Border Keep, uh, that being moved to the rulebook, you're going to have cards on the bottom of your deck you might want to see uh, in the game. So even just announcing the interrupt. Failing to find a a gold-producing holding and getting a shuffle effect isn't a bad thing. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Ben. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, don't forget, guys, if you want, uh, if you're up in the New England, northeastern United States area, you can hit up the Feeding Hills Cote on March 15th and say hi to Ben. Or if you're in the southern United States, you can hit up the Atlanta Cote on March 15th and say hi to me. You can check out more of Strange Assembly at our website, strangeassembly.com or at facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. You can visit Ben at thehomeofthecraneclan.com or you can contact me at chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Ben Higgins, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.